welcome back to another episode of the Artverse Commerce Podcast. This week with producer Tiffany Chang. She used to be a part of the Acres production company and family. Um, in a previous episode, Matt, Matt McLaughlin, he's uh, the co-owner of that. And she had been working with them. And the reason that I wanted to bring her in and talk to her is that she had about, I guess, maybe six months ago now, had moved out to Vietnam. And for those of you that may not know, I, I spent two years in Brazil and I did, you know, I made a documentary down there and I did a bunch of other film work. And I think that um, moving abroad and continuing the craft is something that a lot of us either have done or think about doing, um, fantasize about doing, dream about it. And I thought it would be great to be able to have a conversation with someone who is currently in the midst of figuring it out. Um, she came back just for a, a week's vacation. And so we sat down while she was in town. And to, you know, I think to hear that discussion, trying to make it tangible for people, it's obviously, it's a hard, it's hard. Um, there's no way to beat around it. Like I think that, you know, vacationing is one thing and living is another. And especially when it's with trying to do the work that you want to be doing versus picking up anything that, you know, any opening that you may find if you're trying to be stubborn in a good way about continuing to do your your art and trying to get recognized in a different country for it. There are some serious challenges, but if you can figure it out, of course, the rewards are awesome. So sat down with her and spoke about that prior to leaving. She produced some things for Acres, but, you know, I think now she her what, what she's able to talk about best in, in, in our context is um, what it's like to be in the middle of trying to figure it out abroad. So thanks for, uh, thanks for being here this week. And this is Tiffany Chang. So I'm trying to think at the time that I met you back at, like four years ago, I guess. You were, I think at that point you were still producing. I think I remember like one of the first days I was hanging out with Shao at his place and you were there. And then you guys both went off to a shoot, like getting on your bikes and like riding off to go to a shoot. And I was like mesmerized by this. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> Look at these people. <laughs> Shooting all the time. Yeah. We're just going to whisk ourselves to a Brooklyn shoot on our, on our bikes. <laughs> Um, at that point, you were you were producing. Yeah, I think so. And for how long at that point? Not very long. I started off as an editor uh, right out of college, and then switched over to producing after about a year or two years. Were you were you in college for film? I was in college for cinema studies, uh, so I kind of straddled the film and TV program with the liberal arts school. And what were you hoping for when you were there? God, I have no idea. No idea? No idea. But you were there versus being in some totally unrelated field. Yeah. I mean, I was there. I, I, I came to New York because I knew I wanted to come to New York. But, I mean, growing up in an immigrant home, nobody told you that you could work in film and survive. They just told you you could be like Brad Pitt or Scorsese, and you would never be those people. Right. So it wasn't until... Were I, your parents first generation here? No, they were they were immigrants here. So they yeah, came, so they were I guess, first generation. Is that, does that make them first generation? Yeah, like at some point in their life, they came to the U.S. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And they're first generation. There you go. I thought I was first generation. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you got me doubting it. Well, anyway, your parents were born in... Yeah. In where? Taiwan. In Taiwan. Yeah. And then they came over at like what age? They came over... My mom came over when she was 18. She ran away from home. Oh, wow. And then my dad wow. came over when, she, when he was uh, 20 came over in 82 and he was born in 58 so 24 wow okay mm -hmm. 
So I guess that's interesting that you were not in a, they might've been supportive parents, but not of the idea that you could do creative arts for a living. Mm-hmm. Is exactly. That, is that accurate? Yeah. Um, but yet you, you went anyway. How'd you manage to do that? Well, I knew I wanted to be in New York. So I went to New York and I went to NYU. And while I was there, I started to meet film kids. And you went undeclared? I went undeclared. I got you. I, it was the film kids that lured you yeah, in. Yeah, the film kids learned me. I lived in Pesky Hayden. They were all early admissions kids. And I was like, whoa, shit, you could do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it kind of and it spiraled from there. And you fell into editing after. Mm-hmm. Why? I only did it because, you know, in cinema studies, you just spend time watching film. So you know a lot about film history, but you don't know how to make anything. And I figured at that point in my life, it'd be easier if I could pick up one aspect of the process, if I knew how to do one technical aspect. Mm. And editing was the first thing that came my way. So I just jumped on it. It was like the idea of becoming a specialist in something Mm -hmm. was probably... Yeah, I figured post-production seemed to offer more opportunities. Um, There were more jobs that were stable and I could learn a lot more. um, Yeah, it is more of a nine to five kind of vibe. And and that could be viewed as like a safe Yeah, exactly. Especially just to start. Yeah. How long were you doing that? And did you always figure that you were going to depart that or were you open-minded to like doing that as, and then your, your mind shifted later on? Um, I guess I was being told when I started as an assistant editor that it took seven to eight years to become a real editor. And I was, you know, a bratty 21 year old at that point. So I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do this for seven or eight years. I'm going to see. Yeah, that's an eternity when you're 21. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to see how this goes. It's a long time no matter how old you are. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. It gets shorter and shorter. (laughs) Time shortens (laughs) as you get older. (laughs) Yeah. So no. Now, five years from now, I'm like, okay, I could see what what happens in five years. Back then, I'm like, I was like, 25? That's like forever from now. A decade away. So I kind of thought that I would I would continue on that path I really wanted to show my bosses that they were wrong and that I could be an editor in faster faster um what kind of things were you editing commercials mm. uh commercials short like films big, on like the big side. time commercials yeah for who mm, chase Coles, macy's marshall's okay so like national thing. ads yeah. that kind of okay so like big time stuff yeah because you were at a big time post house I was at a small post house that did a lot of big work cool so, so like a nice boutique yeah type very of spot. boutique and when did your mind start to shift? Was mm. there a catalyst? My mind started to shift about two, one year in because a lot of my friends were working in production at that point. And like freelance? Yeah, um, but just more so, they were they, nobody was working in post. I was the only person working in post. Mm. And I started to feel this anxiety like, oh, they're all traveling and spending time outside. I want to spend time outside. <laughs> I don't want to be inside. Anymore. So the fact that, the fact that it was... Um, the fact that you were doing like big national spots and like it, 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 that that didn't hold, no. hold you. No, I was already completely jaded at that point. I was like, oh, I've already done this. I should go try <laughs> producing some shorts. Yeah, well, that's interesting because going from an editor to being the producer role in production wasn't a given. Like you could have done. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of other things in production. Why? What was it about producing? Um, I, I really, uh, it kind of just happened very accidentally. I had completely taken my producers for granted. I would actually walk into their office. You mean while you were in post? Yeah, while I was in post, I took my producers completely for granted. I would walk into their room and make fun of them for not doing work because I just <laughs> assumed they were just G-chatting each other producers and talking about being producers. 
<laughs> and it was it was uh, out of a favor for my boyfriend at the time, and he needed uh, somebody to produce this short film that our friend had going on, and I decided to take a week off work just to work on this. Mm-hmm. And um, I was very lucky. I had already been trying to get fired for a year, and so trying to get fired. I was trying very hard to get. You fired. couldn't just amicably quit. I didn't want. I real. I had just learned about unemployment at the time, so I was like, I want that. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, honest. (laughs) Well, I guess because the way that that was running, you were were on salary at this place. Yeah. I was. It was like a totally stable thing. It was completely stable. Was that, did that freak you out? Was that a part of the, like, or or did you not, did it not matter? Well, I guess you were trying for unemployment. So obviously you were thinking about it a little bit. I mean, I was, uh, I started there in 2000, 2009 or 10. And then I stayed there until 2012. And, you know, I really, I, I, I really was hoping to stick it out. You know, I kept trying to push myself because it seemed. What did stick, stick it out until what? Stick it out until, you know, I was, you know, fully an editor mm. or just stay with that company or maybe move to another editorial position. Was there anything from like your parents in terms of being at a at a company and loyalty to a company and like staying somewhere to grow? Were you getting anything from them about no, that? No, they loved it. Well, because obviously, yeah, you were in film, but in something pretty traditional still. Yeah. Something they could wrap their mind around. Exactly. Um, and then when I jumped to producing, they had no idea. What, they still don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> they ask me, they're like, so once again, this has been an ongoing conversation for years. Years. Yeah. And I keep trying to explain to them I, the best way to explain. I'm just like, I'm the set accountant. <laughs> ah, that's, that's the easiest thing for them to they, they can understand. grasp that they're like okay money yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah that's good so when you were making the jump though like how are you dealing with that jump to freelance because it's something that i talk about with a lot of people when we sit down for the ones that kind of shifted from a more stable spot it's kind of like i don't know it, it was really hard i, I, I especially because you were you were going from stable in one role to unstable yeah. in a role that you hadn't even done it wasn't yeah. like you were trying to become an, a freelance editor no <laughs> i mean the nice thing about having editing though is that you can pick up freelance editing jobs so and that was all yeah so that was always kind of the fallback and for a little while during the transition after I left my job, I was getting very frustrated because I just kept picking up editing jobs and I was worried that I would just have to edit forever and I would die in a dungeon somewhere. Well, yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) your editing reel was stacked at that point. Yeah, but I really didn't want to do it. It's so lonely and it's also, you know... It doesn't really suit your personality knowing you. And, And also, I just, I kept thinking like, you know, my boss, one of my producers at Bikini would always say... She was like, you know, everybody's shitting and all the shit ends up at our table and we have to clean it up and make gold out of it. And I would think about that and think like, you know what? I don't want to make gold out of shit. I want to do the shitting. (laughs) I want to be up there shitting on the post people. And so you got some opportunities to do some producing mm-hmm. in the beginning. Did you feel confident in that? Were you afraid? Like, was there, did you just say, well, I'm just going to figure it out on the fly? Like, how'd you come to speed on that? Um, I mean, I'm scared every day. <laughs> every single- Tell me about it. Tell me about your fears. <laughs> I mean, every shoot that I do and I'm on, there's always some element of, I don't know what I'm doing, but, you know, I just 
you just keep solving the problems that come at you and then hope that the final product turns out well, like just to the best of your ability. But yeah, in the beginning, I, I never knew what I was doing. God, like nobody. And Matt McLaughlin was the guy who was helping me. And he, he's a he, former a former guest on the podcast. Yes. Former you want to get his background and understand. <laughs> I mean, I love I love Matt. But Matt is not big on explaining what things are to mm. people because he just wants you to do your best. Did you want that? And you I did want that. Yeah. I wanted to somebody to I mean, I remember I like somebody asked me for a P.O. and I had no you go i googled po i learned that it was a purchase order but that didn't mean anything to me right right and just little things like that yeah it's the jargon stuff mm-hmm. i mean obviously like managerial stuff can be a bit innate and you can kind of like understand how to do that in a general way mm-hmm. but it's the jargon and it's the little nuances that of the industry that you have to learn or be taught or yeah. deal with by googling <laughs> 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 going into a closet and acting like oh no i, I know what that was this. well how long did it take to start to feel competent well it took about a year i would say um mm-hmm. i did a That's lot not of, bad. yeah i took i did a lot of small shoots and i got more comfortable with that i mean i'm still actually not that comfortable with bigger shoots they give me a lot of anxiety but i think it's a good anxiety yeah i'm not sure that's ever gonna go away yeah, that kind of comes with the bigger <laughs> shoots but, you know, like as you were doing it, what was it about producing that you knew that you liked versus editing? And like, because there has to be some anxiety there as it was going. Like, when did you not just feel like you knew what you were doing, but you also started to feel like you were sure that it was the right role, whereas editing wasn't and that you mm-hmm. felt secure? I don't know if financially is like in strict terms, but that you just felt secure that you're, oh, I'm, I can do this freelance life. It's mm-hmm. working. Um, I think... I started to feel comfortable about a year in and about two years in, I started to pick up more work that I cared about, like um, a couple of political things here and there. Um, And I, I enjoyed the process of being a producer because you can interact with so many people constantly. It's kind of a solve problems on the go situation as opposed to editing, which is like kind of really mulling over one large problem and Mm, thinking of all the solutions to tackle presenting them to their client and then choosing whatever then doing whatever the client says whereas producing is kind of like well fuck off like we have to solve this right now so i'm gonna solve it however i want you get to make executive (laughs) decisions yeah and it's it came very naturally after you know a year or so and i still had problems with it for a little bit i'm not exactly i'm good on a set i hate looking for work and so well, right, because like looking for work isn't producing. Mm-mm. That's a totally Nobody different skill set. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. How 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 was work finding you? Uh, it was finding me just through my network. You know, my friends would help me out. Everybody I know is a creative, so then you know they would need a producer, and then I would just jump on it. Um, I got to produce a couple of different things, like photo projects and like art projects and stuff. Was your um, do you feel like what you thought producing was morphed uh, the more you understood? what it was like what what did it where did your preconceived notions of it start and how has it evolved from like an insight perspective (laughs) like i said my preconceived notion was just a g-chat group of producers talking to each other about how their creatives were idiots (laughs) so that was where i began (laughs) yeah it's it's a low 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 expectation so producing's a lot more than that i would say I've learned that you can never be too prepared and you can never have enough backup plans. Mm. <laughs> That's good insight, though. And uh, and I think 
even sometimes I question, I'm, uh, sometimes I'll be on set and, you know, if pre-pro went well and like nothing's happening and I have nothing to do, I'm just like, why, why would you even have me here? I'm like expensive to have here. Yeah. <laughs> you can do this without me. Mm. Um, but then, you know, something happens and then it's the looks on people's faces when they don't know what to do and they're looking at you and you have to figure it out. It's such a crucial role and I never really thought it was. I kind of just thought they didn't do that much. Like when Well, I would imagine that the ones who are really good at what they're doing are like shielding mm-hmm. the creatives from these problems. Yeah. To create a world f- for them to be able to like not because, you know, tension and anxiety mm-hmm. take away from your ability to like from their jobs. Yeah. And, you know, only very recently have I. So I, I, I left editing for a few years. And now that I'm living in Vietnam, you know, I'm an okay editor, but I'm like the best editor they've got right now. And so I've been thrown onto a lot of editing projects. And now I'm kind of like, oh, this is this isn't so bad. Because the thing about producing is you're managing so many people and you're dealing with people's feelings, like the clients, your creatives, your crew, everybody has something that they need. And you're trying to address all of that at once and then keep everyone together and make things move forward yeah um i think my linkedin profile says that my job is just getting shit done and i'm pretty sure that's all it is i just make sure things happen and now that i've started editing again after a few years of producing i'm like huh this isn't it's not so bad nobody needs to talk to me well yeah no now that like grass is always a little greener and um being able to do it not all the time but sometimes i could see that being a nice relief to like be in a room by yourself actually has some positives to it yeah. This is great. Yeah. Um, I mean, how, because I wanted to talk, the thing that I'm most excited to talk to you about is because I've gone through it too. And the cool thing about being a freelance creative is that in theory, you can do it anywhere and like you can go abroad and you can bring your craft there and deal with it and do it somewhere else. What led you to wanting to, to do that and to try? Somewhere else? In Vietnam? Yeah, to go to Vietnam. Well, I think first that journey really began with uh, feeling very stifled in New York for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think financially, um, creatively, culturally in in some ways. How so? Uh, Just that it felt like everyone was always busy. Whenever we I tried to put together some small shoe, it would just cost a ridiculous amount of money. Um, just personal stuff. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was doing fine financially, but like not excelling. Yeah, surviving, as surviving. For, for too long. It can yeah. become tiring. And, you know, after going through the breakup, I was traveling a lot and seeing that, you know, there's plenty of places that don't have any rules. And when I landed in Vietnam. What do you mean by that? Like in the U.S., in the, in the Western world, because we've been developing for so long and we are more developed than everywhere else, there's systems in place for how film production happens about how anything happens really how you ride your bike there's rules that things have enough things have happened and people have come together to make regulations to make things safer to make things better to make things more efficient but you know it had gotten to be a lot here yeah you know and um you know i made a lot of friends in peace corps and when we talked about going back to the u.s their first reaction was always I'm not looking forward to all the rules that I'm going to have to deal with. Um, so by the time I landed in in Vietnam, I had been feeling... Um, Why'd you go initially? I went just to visit some friends. 
actually. Um, Do you have a lot of friends like in Southeast Asia because of your family? uh, No, No. actually. My family is entirely in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was actually, I was in Taiwan on family business and then during that and I was planning on staying in Taiwan for a couple of months and I had a short trip to Vietnam planned to visit a friend of mine and we wanted to go to Myanmar and travel around the country a little bit and then I got there and we did those things and um, I just found that I didn't really want to go back and I was starting to uncover I, I was making it a point to meet a lot of filmmakers while I was in Vietnam just to kind of see what the situation was Um, Mm -hmm. and I had done the same in Taiwan and in Taiwan what I was finding was not only were the wages really low but the uh, cost of living was fairly high Mm. Um, and that's problematic yeah yeah and then like and and then the people who worked in film were really uh, fairly disillusioned They, they weren't too different from people in New York you know who kind of just work too hard for why do you think that is because Taiwan is more developed and it kind of had the same base yeah, issue i think it's it's more developed and then also that it, it's a it's not part a particularly creatively enriching place it's gotten better but um you know they don't encourage young people to work in creative fields at all they mm. encourage you to go work at a bank yeah be a lawyer be a doctor mm-hmm. um and it's not that vietnam doesn't also have that but vietnam is less developed and then also culturally speaking they're uh I don't know. They're a lot more fun. I don't know how else to put it. They're a lot more fun and they're a lot more... The culture is a bit more relaxed. Yeah, and they're a lot more outgoing and willing to try things. And from talking to filmmakers, younger, you know, people who are like 18 to 22 and then older people who have been in the industry for a long time, it was, it seemed like it's kind of standing on the cusp of a lot of... Mm, Good things. Yeah, a lot of growth. Yeah. And so... So you, know, you made a big... Decision. I, I made a big jump by taking lots of little jumps. Hmm. So how would you define those little jumps? Well, it began with I just went there for vacation for fun. Right. And then, um, you know, my friend was like, how about you just stay a couple more weeks and then maybe we can go to this other place. And I was like, OK, I'll stay a couple more weeks. And then by staying, you know, by agreeing to stay another three, four weeks, I figured I should get an apartment for that time as opposed to living in a hotel. So I got an apartment. After I got an apartment, I was feeling sad about my bank account just, you know, draining. And yeah. I was like, okay, well, maybe I should add some money into here. And then I ended up with a small English teaching job that was horrible. Um, and yeah, those are really tough abroad. I had I dealt with some of that in Brazil when I lived there. And Did you teach adults? I did. Uh, I did. I, I gave private lessons at big corporations. Like mm-hmm. I said, I was like talking with CEOs of, which was, it was interesting. Yeah. And they obviously spoke English well. So it was more about like just keeping up there, just like working the muscle, which is different than obviously teaching someone grammar. But yeah, I've been through it. It's, it's draining. Yeah. I was teaching kids and I didn't even more so I'd imagine. I didn't realize I hadn't interacted with children since I was like a child, I think. And then I didn't realize (laughs) I wasn't expecting how child, like what, how childish children are. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, how long? How long did you do that? I made it through one semester, three months. I did three months. Yeah, but it kept the dream alive at that point. Because you, even while you were there in the beginning, it sounds like you weren't thinking past the next couple of weeks. No. And because you were freelance, it wasn't like you had responsibilities back home. No. Um, yeah, and uh, and while you were there, like your mind must have been flirting with the idea of like, well, what if 
I started doing what I really want to be doing here. Like, how, what was that process like, the realization that it's possible, and how did, how did that all ferment? The process wasn't um, so much a process. It was more like an act of defiance. I was really, really pissed off uh, one day because uh, over the course of a week, I had gotten really sick two different times. One was a stomach virus. One was a full-blown flu. I got kicked out of my apartment. I fell off of my motorbike. I... Uh, my stomach refused to st- settle down after like two months of being there. Um, um, <laughs> so just a lot of things happened in one week to make me really angry at this place that I was staying in. And I was... Meaning Vietnam in general. Yeah, I was just, I hated it at that point. Wow. Uh, um, and I was really mad and I went out to dinner with um, my but friends. Because it's not, it's not, it's not uh, glamorous. Like I think that people kind of get that. Yeah. People it, that want to like go and do this type of thing, they don't, necessarily really take into account you know the way that it pushes you to your core yeah and i think it's it's daily life like if you if if, like when i first got there for the first couple of weeks i was living honeymoon yeah i was living the most glamorous life i was just going from pool to pool and just doing great things (laughs) going to clubs yeah it's a vacation mindset at first and then it started becoming like how do i get mail out of this country and then trying to get mail Mm. out and then you know having to go to the consulate and these these small little things like I, i i didn't know where to buy regular paper towels this was driving me insane they're, they only had these really thin paper towels yeah, and I I know, they're like paper receipts horrible yeah they, they don't work <laughs> and so it was just all these small things would add up and i hated this place i was mm. i was miserable and i went out to dinner with my friends and they were like tiffany we think you're just going through this hard time and i was like no i'm gonna i'm gonna leave i'm gonna go home take me home and i'm gonna get ready to go home like you were, you were ready. To I be was done. ready. I was ready to be done. I had, I still had my apartment in in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had the opportunity to just come back home and just pick up my life exactly where I started or where I left it. There was an exit plan in place exactly. in case you needed it. Um, and I was packing. I was looking at plane tickets. I was angry and sad, and I stumbled on this uh, a short film contest for a new bank that was coming up. And I read through the parameters, you know, there wasn't, there was like a, I think a $3,000 prize at the end. And I was like, I bet we can knock this shit out of the park. How smart, I just have to shoot the story of a kid on a bicycle. This is fine. I can do this. Fuck you, Vietnam. I'm going to do this contest. (laughs) (laughs) And did you win it? No, we got third place, which I'm actually, I'm fine with. Yeah. I didn't like my director. You placed. We placed. Um, bronze we placed i mean i i think but it but it stirred something exactly i mean I had, what did that process teach you uh well i had in new york i had always been just kind of a gun for hire you know like i didn't i didn't do too much to make my own projects i didn't do too much to start my own things and the the thing i always appreciated about doing this little contest was that i knew my entire life i had been very scared of failing Mm. and you know even if we lost i was completely okay with that because for me doing that contest was like just part of this process of going home yeah like you it was fine if it didn't work yeah i would always i would always go home so it's kind of like one of the first times you were going to be okay with failure yeah which was really exciting Hmm. i i I, I don't what was the fear of failure like coming from uh, Where, where was it really 
Well, I think where it is really is that uh, I've always been the the kid. Well, growing up, I was always told that I was the smart kid. And I think the New York Times did a study on this a little while ago ago kids who are told they're smart versus kids who are told that they work hard and so um and i think when kids are told they're smart they believe that their success comes from something innate inside them and they're completely powerless to change it Mm. and so when they're faced with a problem that they don't know how to tackle they'd rather just ignore the problem and do something else that they know they're good at right which i found myself in you were doing that yeah in a constant pattern it's easier to tackle things that I know I can succeed at rather than something that's totally unknown. Yeah. So this contest was good for that because I literally I knew nothing. I I I, it's funny like this whole scenario of being in Vietnam and Vietnam kind of kicking your ass and getting getting you to a point that you were ready to leave. (laughs) Let like really put you in a mental space that you hadn't been in at all. Yeah, I had never I had never been there before, and then I. After I decided I would do the contest and I would stay at least until the contest was over, then I started to step back from it and I was like, maybe I should, I, maybe I shouldn't do that. And then, meaning leave? Yeah. Or no, maybe I shouldn't do the contest. I should just go home. I I started to become scared of failing again. Mm. Um, and then as luck would have it, I was swiping on Tinder and <laughs> I had turned on girls <laughs> because of this guy I was dating. I was dating this guy who was big on Tinder. I wanted to see what the girls in Vietnam looked like. Okay. So <laughs> I had turned you did, you did, I was like, I was like, like tread carefully here. <laughs> no, okay. So no. you were doing some, you were doing some, some uh, research. Yes. I was doing research mm-hmm. and then I was swiping yes. and then I swiped on a chick who was a director and she sent me a message that said, you're a director or you're a producer. I'm a director we should meet up wow i was like okay wow (laughs) it's like i need a director that's amazing (laughs) okay and then she came we met she had an idea for the short film or for the contest and i was i liked her so from there and once i had a director it just seemed like there was no you guys got on yeah we got on and there was no turning you liked her aesthetic and like you liked her work i mean i did at that point now and okay but yes we got we got on very well you got on we got on very well and once i had a director it did was she vietnamese or expat or what french 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 expat yeah um and the whole thing just started to pull together it was like fucking laffy taffy but it was pulling together yeah wow so like as you were hanging out with her and realizing that it was working in that regard like there must have been these series of enlightening realizations about this pivot that's happening like what was that what was it like what were the things you were thinking as in, in that moment um well like i said i mean I, I wasn't thinking too far in advance i was it was just kind of small it, it, once i got her i started to realize like oh well i guess if i do this project then i'll really understand what film production is like in vietnam right without having to burden some company or mm. you know I, i'll i'll at least know because i just have to talk to as many people as i can possibly talk to so i got through it very much like just a couple of days at a time mm-hmm. and then um, this project also kicked my ass because uh, we were shooting a week before submission, and so there was no time. Well, no, no, oh no, no. We we started it three weeks prior, but our our shoot date was a week before the submission date, and I remember it was like on a Wednesday, and the Thursday before everything was locked in. The crew was locked in, cast was locked in, locations, everything locked in. And we were then... just and then from Thursday till Sunday, my entire crew dropped out. Every single person just. What? <laughs> like i had a crew of 10 people 
every single one dropped out. That must have been incredibly discouraging. It was. And also like because I didn't speak the language. I didn't know people. Everybody I had found was kind of like a lucky accident that. Right. I just. Yeah. It sounds like this is a series of lucky accidents, which I actually very much relate to. And I think at a certain point. Well, yeah. I mean, the way that things happen for me in, in Brazil, you know, the details are different. But the ideas of like these what almost feel like random acts lining up in like the same week you know it's like dominoes that just fall Mm -hmm. and i i'm not surprised to hear it i think to a degree a lot of people that i know that live abroad these are things that kind of have to happen at some point i mean it's like luck is preparation and opportunity kind of you know Mm -hmm. so it makes sense it's good to hear and i think people who are thinking about it need to understand like the level of the difficulty the luck involves i mean it's a it's a these are good mm-hmm. things to kind of wrap your mind around if you're even considering it. I think what, because I did this very quietly. I just kind of snuck away and went there and started living there. There was no big announcement. I didn't have a very good plan. And a lot of people since coming home have asked me like, how, just so everybody knows, you're only here for like a week and yeah. you're going to go back. Yeah. I mean, I just, my friends keep asking me this question, just like, how did this happen? And I think they're kind of expecting a one sentence answer. Yeah, like, it's not possible. Like, oh, I met someone. Oh, I got, you know, but it, it, it wasn't. It was very, very random. I, like, as I, we were shooting this first project, I was learning on the go. I was just in a constant state of, fuck you, Vietnam. <laughs> like, like on the day of the shoot, the person who owned our location came in and started saying that she didn't want this to happen anymore. <laughs> and she wasn't like angry. She was just saying she didn't want it to happen anymore. Yeah. So you were dealing with things, a lot of just, fires. Just a small, lot of small fires. Small things like that. But that all worked out. Yeah. I mean, you got third place. Mm-hmm. And then you get to a point where you're like, okay, well, something changed where you went, I'm not going to go anymore. Mm-hmm. When did that happen? When did that thought process happen? Well, that thought process really happened when I actually got a job and it was my first job in four or five years i think like a salaried job like like a real job. like you're not freelancing anymore i'm not freelancing anymore how did that come to be uh and i mean because you had to be mentally open to it because prior to this film starting you were ready to go home yeah well after the film kind of there were two rounds of it we made the first round and then we got selected for the second round and then you know we were only going to shoot pickups mm-hmm. just to make it beef it up for the second round and then turns out like we had a bunch of other issues there and then we had to reshoot the entire thing and while we were reshooting the entire thing uh we were shooting it at night and then a rainstorm happened that lasted for seven hours and it went from being a shoot that was going to wrap at 11 to a shoot that wrapped at 6 a.m and you know i remember that was a very humbling moment because when when that storm happened because this wasn't like here where it rains and you you could no, be no. in rain, it. Rain rain and rain in Southeast Asia yeah. is insane. It was, I've never seen anything like that. There period. were tarps all over our space, and yeah. those tarps were just collapsing yeah. constantly. We were just constantly. Towns just, can just be gone. Yeah. Like it's really something. And uh, I remember as the storm was happening, and we kept checking to see if it would get better, and it wasn't going to get better. Uh, we had all these uh, Buddhist stick things. I don't know what they're called. Mm-hmm. And my production designer started praying to the gods. <laughs> he was just, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, it's okay. It's okay. I got it. God. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's. But, but what was very humbling about this was um, 
and I had never done this before, when we finally accepted that this rain was not going to stop, mm -hmm. but that to shoot another day was completely out of the question. After we accepted that, the next thing we had to do was ask everyone to stay. And I've asked people to stay on shoots where they're not getting paid before, but they're usually my friends who I've hired before or, you yeah. know, were at least friends. Mm -hmm. the, none of, there was not a single person on this. They, they were, they were not my friends. They were yeah. people I had known for a week and I had asked them to do me a favor based on the fact that, I don't know, I'm an American and I've done cool things before. Yeah. And I had to walk into this big room filled with the cast and most of the crew. And I was like, so I'm really sorry guys, but can you, I need you to stay until at least four o'clock in the morning. And this was at like 8 p.m. or something. And like the looks on people's faces were just kind of like, well, why am I doing this? And I got really lucky because our talent was American Girl. And she was just she just immediately was like, well, fuck this. I'm in it to win it. So I'm going to stay. And slowly the dominoes fell and yeah. everyone agreed to stay. <laughs> but God, what a terrible feeling. I was just like. I, God, I don't know. I don't know if I would stay, but mm -hmm. but the this all works. Mm -hmm. And then, how do you find a job? Like, where does that also an accident? An accident. Nothing I've done has been on purpose. I live my life is a series of random accidents. Um, a good friend of mine was visiting Vietnam with a boy, and the situation with the boy got very messy, and she had to leave. And she read about a new Airbnb house that was opening up near where I lived and she wanted to go check it out uh, before it officially opened to see if she could get a deal. And I actually gave her some shit for it. I was just like, just book another place. Why do we have to go here? And we went there and while we were there, it's a place called Bunker. Uh, we met the owner and turns out the owner, he owns Bunker and a few other restaurants in Saigon as well as this creative agency that yeah. runs all of these places oh, and yeah. uh he gave me his card and we started talking and he had just come he had just decided that he wanted to start a video production arm and uh i just happened to be there when he decided that so. i mean so much of it's on timing <laughs> and like so what was that conversation like did, did was it an autumn was it just like an instant hire for salary or did you have to kind of like do a couple projects as freelance to see if it was like a good fit I got really, I got, I got really lucky because um, me and Tuan just got along fairly well to start off with. Uh, there was, I think, a little bit of nervousness there due to the fact that he's also starting a, a production company from scratch. Yeah, starting a production company <clears throat> from scratch, um, and then also the fact that I wasn't fully committed to staying. I mean, even right now, I'm still on a tourist visa, which I should probably work on. But yes, but you know, I wasn't fully committed to staying mm -hmm. and i think both of us were kind of feeling it out to see if this was something that was viable but i don't know they just hired me after like two weeks of talking or so yeah. and then and so now i know that you're doing things in more of an ep role because mm -hmm. you're kind of overseeing the way the production is happening in general mm -hmm. what has that shift been like and you know i mean because it's it's a shift that would be notable any like even if it was at home in new york but you're also doing that in a place of i'm sure that there's like local culture stuff that you're <laughs> that you have to deal with and you know being in a managerial boss position i there's got to be a whole lot of learnings going on 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't, I miss you guys all the time. I think about, when I think about people I miss, it's not necessarily my friends or like my family. I think about the Jared Levy's of the world. I think about Shal. I think about Matt. I think about the people I work with and I just think like, <laughs> I miss them all. They're so talented and they work so hard. <laughs> well, what, what's lacking? I think what's lacking is, uh, primarily in taste. I mean, I think is that a cultural taste difference, though? I I think it's a mixture of both. I think it's exposure and then also Vietnamese culture. Um, the people I work with, by and large, are tremendously talented. Um, but you know, I think the attitude towards work is. Mm-hmm very different and then also their exposure to what the industry is producing is more limited and and what the industry has produced yeah you know there's a very limited independent film culture they don't know very much about film history and other commercials that have come before them um there are very i have a fairly young team and i've been working on my managerial style and it's i think it it kind of makes them a little bit nervous because to me a bit new york well, it's a bit like no frills. Just tell me your shit and like we'll deal with it so together. So the answer is yes. Is it? Is Okay. Okay. Good to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, because like, I mean, one of a one of my my videographers, he was he he texted me at the time that he was supposed to be on set to say that he was sick and he wouldn't be there. And then on our whole group chat, I started explaining to him why that was a problem. And then ultimately, that like, it's fine if he's gonna be sick. He just has to tell me the yeah. day before. I don't <clears throat> care if you're sick. Right. And then when I went into office that day, he pulled me aside and he was like, Tiffany, that was like really embarrassing what you did there on this group chat. And I was like, yeah, but now everybody knows. <laughs> and you've been shamed. <laughs> oh, but like, you crack the whip. Yeah, but he, I think he also was expecting me to be very angry. Like he was acting towards me for the rest of the day as if I was very angry. Yeah, he didn't understand that you can talk like that and not be angry. You right. were just being straight to the point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, I've encountered that as well in totally different part of the world in yeah. South America of like, you know, not being able to decipher between just being no bullshit, but also like not being actually angry, just like getting, yeah, it's a thing that we tend to do that other cultures don't. It's the most practical way to do things. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it does work out. It does help Yeah, I mean, at times. I mean, I feel like whenever I've had a hard set here, like, you know, things are difficult and then the shoot's over and then everybody, mm-hmm. everybody is fine. And I think what I've... Things are more emotional? Uh, they're a little bit more emotional in the sense that I'm, I'm worried that my staff hasn't let things go. I'm fine. Right, right. But they still remember that I yelled at them two weeks ago. And I'm like, I, I forgot. Yeah. Just don't do that again and we'll never talk about it. Right. Well, what are you, what are your, what are your goals here? I know like you're still kind of debating if you're going to stay, but just assuming that, take that part out of the equation. What are you hoping to, to grow here? Like what do you, Vietnam. yeah, what do you want? Um, I think ultimately I want to be one of the more, the most sought after agencies there um, within two years or so. I think that's a realistic goal yeah. um, for where I am only because, I mean, I'm lucky because, you know, around me, the work isn't that great. So, right. Um, I was going to say, as you were talking about that, I'm like, it does, it can be viewed 
and turn into quite the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the the really crazy thing about Vietnam right now is that it's kind of on the precipice, right? It's about to grow really fast. It's starting to grow really fast. There's a lot of tech coming in. There's money coming in. It's a communist state, but it's also very, very capitalist. You know, creatively, there's not a lot of competition. Uh, and the company, the other agencies that I've looked at, um, they haven't made very much work that I find very threatening or find out of my reach. Mm. Um, and that's partially, you know, not entirely their fault. It's also the audience that we are dealing with because yeah. that's what the audience wants to see. Um, or they just don't expect better. Yeah. But, you know, I think within my work at the lab, I'm hoping to grow it to a point where we have internationally acceptable work Mm -hmm. that I'd be more than happy to show anywhere in the world. And I would like to continue to grow, uh, start to grow regionally as well. But I think that's probably after, you know, a year or so. Those are, those are awesome things to be reaching for. I mean, exciting things. Yeah. Have you thought about like what the next location would be? Would it still be in Vietnam or neighboring countries? It it might, I've thought towards, you know, Thailand has a very big media market. Yes. Um, there's a lot of competition there, but I've thought that it might be it might be good to move that way. Um, the Philippines are also interesting. Um, I, I, my overarching goal for going to Asia was to you know just kind of be well connected throughout the continent. Mm-hmm. So I haven't thought clearly about a second location, but more so just being able to talk to people all over. Yeah, the region. And in the same way that once you left editing and like freelance took about a year to start to feel like you've had your feet on the ground, do you feel like you have your feet on the ground yet in Vietnam? <laughs> no. No. How long no. has it been? <laughs> I've been there for, I've been in Vietnam for six months. Okay. Um, so then, yeah, it takes time. It's it's getting there. I, I think once I can ride my motorbike again, it's going to be very different. Um but I didn't, I, you know, when you're freelance, you know, you pick up on a project, you roll with it for a little while, and then you're done. And you don't really have to think about anything else. And then to move to another country and then pick up a full-time job and then start to become invested in other people's lives and to be invested in this company's future has been very, uh, it's been very rewarding, but also very kind of destabilizing. So while I'm adjusting to living in Vietnam, I'm also dealing with these fairly new ideas, emotions, thoughts. Yeah, I because mean, that's, that's interesting because when you say destabilizing, everything you listed sounds like creating a foundation mm-hmm. to create stabilization. Mm-hmm. Like, do you mean like maybe the mental image that you had of girl, like growing up in America is being destabilized and you're dealing with that? I guess like what's being destabilized? I, I see what you're saying about building a foundation. I think just in my head, I just wrecked the building and I'm looking at the mess <laughs> and how to build the foundation. So I'm still at that point where I'm just looking at the chaos and thinking, okay, now we have to build something from this. Maybe mm. at most we started on like a corner. Yeah. But <laughs> most of it's still a mess. Yeah. But that's great. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sitting down and talking about this. Yeah. There's not that many uh it's a cool conversation to have because I it's it's really unless you unless people are interested in like sitting down with me and talking for a long time, there's no I thought you put it well there. There's no way to easily explain how to actually pull something like um living abroad and doing your craft while do while living abroad, how to pull that off. Mm-hmm. I really wish 
um, in doing this. I mean, I think my personality was fairly well suited to doing this. I mean, totally. I'm not surprised it's happening for you. Yeah, I think it, it made sense. I've had plenty of friends who've gone abroad and, you know, things just not work out for them or they, they ended up working at some marketing job and nothing really came of it. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, for my a lot of my friends who are who feel like they're stuck in this grind of New York City and they're contributing, they're hustling just to contribute to the hustle. Like for a lot of them, I just, the world needs them. You know, being in Saigon, like I would kill, I, I'll, I will take the low tier cheap DP that we hire for like the bullshit projects. If you want to ship him to Vietnam, I'll take him because his skills are so valuable. And I think hmm. New York teaches people here, like, you know, you're a dime a dozen. Like if, you know, you're a producer, I can replace you with another producer. And what's really nice and rewarding about being um, in a place that's not New York is that all of a sudden you're, you're a commodity. People really need you. And all my friends here, like if any of them, I've been trying to like subtly, not subtly, just be like, move to Vietnam, come join me. And they're just like, well, I have all these things. I have all these plans. And I'm just like, yeah, but do you? Like, does anybody care? <laughs> like... <laughs> if you left who would care i just want everyone to move with me there you go <laughs> yeah selfishly <laughs> make my life easier i need a, i need a dp <laughs> i have one good dp i love him but it's not enough yeah yeah well cool thanks so much mm -hmm. appreciate it thank you